coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting. The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. We are just so thrilled to have our friend back again with us. Mayer Schneider tops the charts for creative healing techniques that bring forth success into everyone's life. He has the touch of alchemy, which transforms physical matter into higher vibrational energies. And one's body simply responds to these creative influences that he shares. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. People travel from all over the world work with him. Mayer truly walks in an illuminated state, igniting those around him to become more flexible, more flexible in their and more in tune with their bodies. He's a respected therapist and educator and a and a best-selling author. Mayer healed himself of congenital blindness and other serious vision problems and now he has a driver's license. Well, Mayor says you do not have to be deteriorate. You do not have to deteriorate with age and use your body. Is actually it's renewable. Thank goodness. <laughs> and from all indications, Mayor's method seems to overturn the unconscious expectations that program how we think, move, breathe, and see by teaching us new ways to move, live, and to experience life. Well, Mayor. Welcome back to our program. You're one of our favorite guests. It's so nice to be on your show. I just came back from Brazil. I flew yesterday, and um, I'm overcoming the fact that my furnace is not working, and I'm still doing good and don't have jet lags. (laughs) Imagine I came here to 44 degrees from something like 90. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's meets so of summer there. We taught a class on um, a deep class on the spine. Uh, I'm so happy we had in our class ten physiotherapists, five occupational therapists. We had a physician who's a physiatrist trained in orthopedics and um, in uh, neurology. And she had many, many questions, and a lot of changes happened in her. And then we had a personal trainer, people at large who wanted to improve. So it was a very nice advanced class, and I taught it with Beatrice, who overcame muscular dystrophy and herself is a professor of occupational therapy. And she divides anatomy in a whole new way. She sees muscles that hold the posture, muscles that move, and 
the back uh, is basically connected to the limbs, and what she's saying is exactly what I was saying for many years, that many small muscles our brain never connects to. And the idea is to start and connect with them, work with them, so we can start and aid the muscles that overwork and overstrain. And the principles of working on the back is, first of all, um, I would say deep relaxation of the back, but the number one thing is to create a situation where we use more of our muscles and then to start and uh, integrate them with the muscles we never use. And we do it through isolating muscle groups and then lead to balanced use of the back. These days, more than 80% of the people have back problems. And uh, we had 100 people in the fifth day that our students uh, worked with, and they were so happy, and postures changed among many of those people. They came from all over Brazil to work with my students, and the changes in them were so marvelous that uh, they were so grateful to my students, and I'm grateful to them as well. I have a feeling that we can have a whole new day, instead of a whole industry, to work with back pain that exists, a new way of working to prevent back pain. And instead of a whole industry talking about the fact that back pain has to be there, a whole new way to prevent them from ever occurring. And that's what I came from, from Brazil with. But I had an amazing surprise there. I'll tell you about it later. Well, you know what? People are bent over their computers every day, Mia. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it not only causes back and shoulder pain and neck pain, I, I, you know what? It does. And, um, and causes vision deterioration. So Absolutely, and I, absolutely. And one thing that one can do to prevent back pain in front of the computer is to walk backwards. Because you look forward so much, so if you you know if you work at home, it's so good to go to the to your yard and just walk backwards a little bit, walk sideways a little bit, stretch backwards a little bit, but not don't wrench your neck, stretch backwards more with your whole back and your chest, so the neck just gently falls back. And if you do that, it's much easier then to look at the computer. And uh, in terms of the eye strain, let's talk about it a little bit later now program that is something we can definitely overcome and work with but uh, there are other things that we need to do that we normally don't do we don't have enough side movement for example as you sit why won't you stretch your whole back and move it sideways breathe and relax and give yourself some rest from the total movement uh, or flexion that you do forwards move sideways that makes a very big difference so we just have to be determined to not have the stress that we build up throughout the years and work on ourselves. That makes a huge difference for us. So while, while you're um, not using certain muscles, like you're sitting all day in front of the computer or you're letting some muscles deteriorate while you're like really actually creating a problem with just a few muscles, so what you're doing is... Well, let's put it further. I mean, it's, you have some muscles you never used in your life. I mean, since um, our childhood, we didn't climb on trees, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> our ancient ancestors climbed all the time. They did not have shoes. They used 
their toes. We don't use our toes. Um, they lifted their arms up. If anyone of the audience who walk with their arms up, they all know you listened to the radio show I was on or, <laughs> or were one of my students. Um, <clears throat> people don't have any sense of the side muscles. That basically comes to the fact that most of the muscles that we have we never use. And what we need to start and do is instead of overworking muscles that already are strained, start to use muscles and movements we never used before. That releases the stress on the muscles that we always work, and it gives the body what it wants. It doesn't hurt for nothing. It doesn't hurt because the human back should hurt. It doesn't hurt because we don't walk on fourth, as some people are saying. Um, we are definitely capable to stand on our two feet and never hurt. It simply hurts because of the stress of the common use. And it's interesting, if the audience at home can lie on their back, if you have the time and the ability to do that, and divide the back into three, put pressure without using your abdominal muscles on the lower back as you lie on the floor, and then push put pressure on the middle back as you lie on the floor, and then on the area between the shoulders as you lie on the floor, you will start to let go of a lot of stress that you have trying to not feel your back. That's the thing that happens today. We push ourselves, and we don't sense ourselves. And the result is disastrous. We, when you don't sense, you don't move. So we need to sense all the needs of the body that are not being met by our lifestyle. And if we start to sense them and work with them, we will actually right there and then prevent 90% of the doctor visits we have. That's good. I mean, yeah. So it just takes a few minutes a day, it sounds like. Exactly. Or I would say a few minutes here and a few minutes there, and it would make a huge difference. A huge difference to start and feel what we normally don't. That is so hard for people, you know, like most people want to go in a certain path and not change it. Well, we need to start and change that and go in a new path uh, that we can sense and move in, and it, it can make a huge difference for us. So can I tell you about a surprise that I got in Brazil? That was oh, a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You see, I was trying to approach five different institutions in the United States and one in Israel to research my work. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fear in those institutions. You had professors of medicine who were trying to help that to happen, but um, it, it, there was always somebody enthused who wanted it, and then it died in committee. So, two of my physiotherapists, I was actually cross with them. They didn't come to the class, but we had 26 people in our class anyway. But uh, two of the physiotherapists who studied with me, my students, went to a school and trained 31 kids and their parents in different ages to, to work on their vision. They made a very scientific study within three months Averagely, they improved by one line on the chart. Two kids had strabismus, or cross-sidedness, and that disappeared. And they've written it in a, a professional way, 
And right now, uh, one of the most known uh, um, journals uh, of uh, scientific journals of physiotherapy in Brazil is going to publish their paper. I'm uh, looking for a volunteer right now who will translate this from Portuguese to English. And that's going to be one of my first papers that is going to show scientifically that kids can prevent eye problems. And I think with that we should go to schools, we should go everywhere, and start from the very beginning. Simple exercise like palming that I mentioned on your show many times, like sunning, like looking at a distance, like massaging around the eyes, like developing peripheral vision. Those exercises can prevent that from happening. Now, it couldn't be more timely, and it was such a surprise for me because I had five days in that class. The first four days, my whole class was there, but at the fifth day, 100 people came, and those two physiotherapists appeared to give me the paper and to thank me, but I'm the one who should be thankful to them because in the first place, there is a scientific study, which is a pilot, but it could be a beginning of studies of many, many other studies, which I want to approach uh, some um, uh, research institutes with, once it's translated into English. It's 17 pages, basically, and, um, and request pilot studies, because I think that what happens right now is, and I want to understand this, Paul and Taz, there's a whole industry that serves our problems, doesn't solve it, serves it. It reminds me, you know, once there was a guy by the name of Jello Biafra, a punk musician, who ran uh, to be a mayor, and to his fear, he got third place. He was afraid that he might win. And one of his main things, he was a, pro, uh, you know, a punk musician and a protest kind of a guy. One of his things was he wanted to create committees for, to regulate city corruption, not to eliminate, to regulate. So the thing is, that industry tries to regulate our problems, not eliminate them. I want to eliminate them. Wow. Would private schools um, embrace this better than public schools? I think that uh, depends on the teacher. I, I went to wherever my kids went, I went, because my kids were loved by everybody. I went to their public schools. I went to their high schools. And uh, uh, I taught their kids eye exercises. I meet those kids in ice cream stores and elsewhere, and I keep hearing that, that they still do their palming and they still are impressed with the teaching that I gave. And uh, that affected them for the rest of their life. So that was a very nice thing. You know? So basically I would say that, um, that yes, that um, uh, you can teach it everywhere. It's a, it's a point of knowledge. And I want to tell you the good news about my book, Vision for Life, that it is now already in five languages, which is uh, English, Portuguese. Uh, it wasn't Portuguese before English, but English, Portuguese, Czech, German, and Chinese. And it's going to be this year in Hebrew, Italian, French, and um, uh, Spanish. So it's going to be in nine languages altogether. You know, you can't stop it jumping up and down or that kind of thing. I mean, this is really getting out there, and people are realizing that it works. I, I can remember one time when you showed me about my leg, and you and you just barely touched one muscle, and you had me work on it, and within a short period of time, I was using the part of my leg where I wasn't before. 
you have this capability of just knowing where to touch and and allowing people to have that result, which is really it's it's better than magical. <laughs> you know, one of my good students, who is one of the best practitioners in my work, uh, that took the class, she was very grateful because I told her, you know what, you always look down. It's about time for you to look up and. She was grateful. She looked up and then again down. And I said, no, no, look up. And many people have to know that, you know, when you walk, look a centimeter or half an inch above you. Don't look all the time below because that, that's become your posture after that. And that is a very important thing. So it's good for us to observe ourselves. It's good for us to come to a place where people can observe us. Uh, you know, in our school we give many classes. And, again, this Saturday from 10 to 6, I'm going to give a class uh, for yoga teachers. Actually, it's a yoga institute that have arranged that class. It looks like we're going to have a very nice uh, class, and they're coming, most of them from the South Bay, from your neck of the woods, but they're coming to our school. And um, uh, the class is uh, by a yoga, um, what's the name, uh, Yoga Bharat, Yoga Bharat, basically. And their number is 408-341-9642. And they registered already 20 people for the class. And that it's a really, dis, well, I shouldn't talk about prices here, but uh, it's, it's a yoga class. And the, the focus is to teach them to see better and teach their kids to see better. So we're focusing on children's vision. It couldn't be more timely. I mean, last Sunday, I received, I can't believe it, I'm talking to you right now, but last Sunday in Brazil, because I returned, basically I arrived here on Tuesday. So last Sunday, I received that paper. I hope that on time I'll be able to get it translated for this particular uh, group of people. And the idea is, that we can teach our kids eye exercise so they'll never need the glasses that most adults are having now. Seven out of eight people yeah. have corrective lenses after the age of 40. We've got to change the trend. Yeah, you know, Mir, I mean, you're talking about changing nearsightedness, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, farsightedness. Um, you even talk about working with cataracts and glaucoma and macular degeneration and diabetic retina, retinopathy and, and common eye problems that can be altered. I, this is huge, not to have to wear glasses, believe me. I mean, what a miracle. And not only that, but if a lot of kids just wear glasses for reading. I mean, you can dispose of that eventually. I mean, within... You, you know, know what's interesting? What? Uh, in Israel, and this guy did not have my training, a mother came with her 15-year-old daughter to a, uh, an ophthalmologist asking for glasses because of the fact that her daughter doesn't see well. He looked at the daughter and had a feeling that she had eye strain. And he said, you know what, you use the computer all day. Why won't you walk out and play a little bit? And uh, he basically suggested every half an hour she leaves the computer and goes and plays outdoors. And the girl did not need glasses. Now, why the rest of the ophthalmologists don't do that is beyond me, uh, except for the fact that, you know, they like procedures. They like to do laser procedure. They like to give you, prescribe you lenses. They like to do all kinds of procedures instead of 
thinking about nature's power. Think how powerful nature is. It moves waves in the ocean. It moves winds. It creates incredible velocity of circulation in our body. How come we're dismissing the power of nature? And how come we're dismissing the power of movement within us? So what I want to say is that let's reinforce our kids' strength and let's have them have the strength that one needs to survive our modern life. The option, the other option is disastrous. All the problems that happened these days to people in the 80s will start to happen to people in the 20s and 30s. We're going to be in a whole new generation of people with eye strain and results of those eye strains. We can't afford it. It's unsustainable. There is no insurance or health care that would really be able to survive this kind of situation. And we need to find a way to change life completely for all of us. And for that reason, it's very, I'm so happy and proud that that yoga institution is going to, um, to bring 20 of the best teachers. And by the way, the general public is open. Anyone who has a child can bring the child. And if you want, I can tell you about one of my most amazing cases of one child who came to me from Israel. We're ready. Go. <laughs> All right. So here's what happened. I was in Israel at my father's home, and a um, wonderful young couple came to me for a session, and um, uh, they had a child who was born with bilateral cataracts. The two, the two eyes had cataracts, which basically is an opacity of the lens. So the lens does not let light through. So the doctors, in a very simple way, removed the lens. Well, my, no, my two kids were born with cataracts, just like myself. Well, in my kids' case, the surgeries were a success. But in her case, one eye got a complete retinal detachment, and the other eye went well with the surgery. But it had bleeding in the back of the eye, so they removed uh, the vitreous. It's called vitrectomy, which is a very dangerous surgery, but in her case was very called for, and it was the right thing to do. Where I argued with the parents is that the eye that, um, uh, that was blind, I didn't think was completely blind and should have responded well to light therapy, and I could see that she did. But the doctors suggested to them to put prosthesis in the eye to prevent the area from shrinking, so the face, the facial bones will grow well. So that was my argument with the parents, and I guess through the parents with the doctors. The parents went with the doctors and gave her a prosthesis. The left eye seems to be doing okay. The doctors predicted she'll be legally blind, but not completely blind. And um, the eye seemed to be normal without a lens and with small cornea, but normal in its shape, normal in its activities and all that. But two, two years later, when she was two and a half, the mother gives me a call that was in uh, mid-September and told me, my daughter had an increased eye pressure in her left eye. Uh, we started with drop. I said, stop immediately, because I had a feeling that this is a slippery slope. You start with some drops to reduce the pressure, then you need more drops, then you need more drops, then you need more drops. Then they do laser treatment, and she could not afford one more procedure with the, all the surgeries that she had. So 
I said, don't do that. Wait for the next doctor's visit. I said, I wish you were here, but what can we do? I mean, they were in Israel. Two days later, the mother gives me a call, and she said, I bought tickets for me, my daughter, her sister, who was a year and a half. My mother-in-law and my husband were coming to San Francisco. I couldn't believe it, you know. I mean, we're talking about coming from Israel. I just talked to somebody who's not willing to come to me from San Diego. It's amazing. Some people wouldn't come to me from San Jose or from Mountain View. Those people came from Israel, which is basically a 24-hour trip. I mean, by plane you have to fly to an eastern uh, state, and then you have to fly here. By the time you think you leave your house and go to the airport and all this, it's a huge trip. Um, Well, they came, and I did all kinds of exercises with the daughter. The father is very fit. Uh, and the mother is also fit, uh, and they've played with her a lot on our trampoline in the backyard. They, we put a small piece of paper in the middle of the ice, we call it Melissinia, and we jumped and threw uh, balls and had frogs and all kinds of things, and the daughter was trying to see them and grab them, and she responded with the hands to what she's seeing. We put a paper with a circle in the middle, and she was trying to see through that, we put a paper in the lower part of the eye and then in the upper part of the eye. So each time we kind of blocked part of her eye because she had only one eye that saw. And I was really actually a bit devastated that they had the prosthesis. So by then, two years after after she did respond to light, she stopped responding to light, which wasn't really nice. But that eye, the left eye, was really responding very well. Well, the parents wanted me to send them to a physician to measure her pressure. So we went to a physician, and the pressure seemed to be high, and he said, you must put drops. Well, I said, don't. So you'd think the parents would at that point be disappointed, would sit on the suitcases and go home. They were disappointed, but they did not share with me any emotions of we're upset or anything. They understood that they need to keep working. They stayed three and a half more weeks. They kept working with me. And to just give you figures, 10 to 20 is normal pressure. 20 to 30 is high. 30 to 40 is very high. And above 30 considered to be dangerous. Well, we worked. I massaged there. And then I started to say to myself, those people stayed here. So I will help them. The mother-in-law already went back home. They had to change three different housing situations. I said to myself, What's happening? How will I help them? And then I remembered that years before, in the early 80s, came to me a kid with an enlarged heart, and his heartbeat were something like 110 beats per minute. Mine were 72. When I put my hand on my heart and his heart, I mean on our ribs, our hearts were beating together at 84 beats per minute for that moment. Mm-hmm. So I put my hand, my fingers on her eye and my eye. Her eye was much harder from the pressure. Mine was much softer. Slowly, slowly, her eye became softer and mine harder. I got the mom to do the same thing. And then the best was when the mom put her hand, one hand on her eye and another hand on the other baby's eye, the, the, the little sister, and... Then the father did the same thing, and when we went to the appointment 
with the pediatric ophthalmologist, her pressure went down to 11. It was 26 in Israel. It was 27 in the first test. It was 11, which is completely normal. I have no idea how it is now. I'm praying that things will get better. But for a moment, I mean, it felt to me like the sky opened for us because I wanted her so much to improve. And the parents were so nice and so much wanted their daughter to do better. Had no complaint of any kind. They just wanted things to go well. Um, I was told that all of the family was praying for me, and I said, that's what helped me. But you know to whom I made the first phone call after that was to my own daughter. My daughter was born with cataracts, just like my son. And when there was a divorce between me and my ex, uh, there was an emotional strain on her, and she got high pressure. Um, and kids who are born with cataracts and have a small cornea often do have high pressure. So she got high pressure, and um, the doctor immediately wanted to use drops. It was 30. And my ex-wife said, no, don't do that. So I worked with her, and I was able to reduce the pressure to 25. That was good. And... Um, for two and a half years, we were able to manage it. In fact, once it even went as low as 21, which is very good. And then the pressure uh, went up and up and up. And I had no idea why, but a year later I understood why. One of the teachers made her the fool of the class, which was very insulting to my daughter. And that caused her to have her pressure. I mean, of course, she had tendency for it. So at a certain point, I gave up when the pressure was very high, like 36, and told her, yeah, take drops. Well, she took the drops, and then she didn't tell anyone she stopped taking them. A year later, I asked her, do you take the drops? She said, no. I said, naughty girl. You did the right thing. <laughs> she went for a test, and the pressure went down from 36 to 23. And I asked her, I asked myself, how did it happen? Well, a year passed. She no longer had that abusive and terrible teacher in high school. So she had much better teachers, and she was given a special role uh, in the sound of music. She was the nun, the, the main character. And I can tell you, we had to close her room. She was yodeling and singing. <laughs> Basically, I took her to singing lessons twice a week. We had to close the room because she was singing all over the place. Well, singing got her pressure down. I almost was in tears when I saw her playing, but I was uh, elated. It was one of the best days of my life. 13 points down without a single drop. So the person I called to thank was my own daughter because she had been my lightning rod. I had to struggle with her high pressure, and I was able to prevent her from having glaucoma. And thanks to my daughter, I was able to improve and to work that well with this wonderful baby. And it's one of the best things that happened. And I, even though I taught a spine class, many of my students were very interested in vision, and we touched each other's eye. And it was very interesting. The pressure went down, and when people heard a lot of noise, there were some 
molding of grass in another house where we were in Brazil, the pressure went up. Also, they realized that whenever the eyes are relaxed, the back feels better, and when the eyes are tense, the back feels worse. Mm. So, Isn't it do you think by, by putting, I mean, you've learned so much from your daughter, it's like you were blessed, but by putting your hand on someone else's eye, is that relaxation, or is it um, if I put my you... hand on my eye and on your eye, pretty soon our pressure will be the same. So we we are starting to balance to the same rhythm. Exactly. Like the heart. Exactly. That's what I learned. You see, for my daughter, I didn't learn that principle. I learned to loosen the neck and all that. But for my daughter, who also have small cornea, it's called microphthalmic eye, I learned that it can be done. The heart case is what helped me understand. It's what helped me understand that when you put a hand on one person and a hand on another person, you actually are starting to have the same kind of fields. So working on your own intelligence, that's one of the reasons I'm telling the students in my classes, you've got to work on your own intelligence of your own body in order to, trans- uh, uh, to transform the same kind of intelligence on other people's bodies. Now, now we interviewed, I think it was last week, someone from HeartMath, and they have an um, application you can put on your phone that gives you exercises to uh, make your heart rhythm more smoother and slower. And I believe in that. I'm, put it, I'm putting the two together. That could help everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, Paula, if, for example, somebody has quick heartbeats, and I'll put my hand on my heart and another hand on his heart, very soon our heart will beat together. And so if her pressure was high and her sister pressure was very low, when the mother put one hand on one sister, on a sister's eye, and he put the other hand on her eye, the sister is a year and a half, and the girl that we're talking about was two and a half years, the pressure became even. I even took, in that time, my office manager, a younger woman, and we put one hand on her eye and one hand on the daughter's eye, and it became one pressure. Incredible. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And so I'm saying, even though it was a spine class, my students were so happy to learn that new exercise of, sensing we are affecting each other that's what i'm saying this is uh, your radio show is so important i'm so sorry it doesn't have more traction more audience i really hope that one of these days you will be nationally known for the wonderful work that you're doing you're two very very precious women there's a lot of spirituality behind your work and one thing that i strongly feel is that the world is like a mirror and when people have such a great sense of limitation, they look at the world and they feel uh, so limited. And what you are successfully doing by letting me be on the show and other people with great innovation to be on the show is to start and project another image to this mirror. We have millions of cells where basically we're trying to imitate each other. 
One of the reasons that so many people have such bad posture, such bad vision, because we mimic each other. We are like each other. That is the problem. And so any time that somebody creates a big change, they change not only for themselves, but for others as well. Wow. That's true. Yeah. Mayor, you you have the one-day shop that's coming up, and it's going to be this Saturday um, from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m., yeah, February the 8th. And then, not only that, but then you have a six-day workshop after that. Um, right. Can you share about what's going to be happening? I want to tell you something. I have a six-day workshop for a Chinese community from all over the world in your neck of the woods, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, in Sokel. There's a Len, Mudis, uh, what is it? Uh, Len Buddha, uh, Medicine Buddha. Do you know that place in Sokel? It's in no, the hills, I've never been in the Santa Cruz, in the mountains. I've heard it's of a beautiful place. place. Yeah. So there was a, la- a wonderful lady by the name of Chunan Lao, who is very, very known in the Chinese world. She's a nutritionist and also a Buddhist. And she was able to attract to their 65 people with staff that were altogether 70. And uh, we had a six-day eye class. And they also had nutritional guidance. And we had such wonderful food. I lost weight and felt so much better. I must tell you, I sinned a little bit. Uh, as Jan came and picked me up, we went to, um, to uh, Pete's Coffee from time to time. It's terrible things. We ate some chocolates there and chai and all that. But most of the time we had wonderful food, which was basically roughage and, and, and very, very good <laughs> grass and whatever have you. Somebody said the, that kind of food can give a cow a lot of milk, you know. <laughs> we had, we had uh, very nice vegetarian food there. And, uh, and uh, truthfully, you know, you sleep better that way, you feel better that way. But I was teaching that class I exercises. At the end of the six days, ten people had to leave because they had to catch flights. Some came from Hong Kong, some came from Taiwan, some came from Singapore. There was always Chinese translation because my book now is also in Chinese, Vision for Life. And by the way, Paula and Taz, I really want you to reread that book again, especially the preface and the conclusion, and maybe share it in other times with the audience. I think, it's, I think there's a lot I'm saying there um, uh, about what needs to be done. But anyway, the end of the class was that out of 60 people, 52 saw better. Listen to the statistic. From 60 people, 52 saw better. 87%. My eye classes are phenomenal. We are measuring our vision in the first day. What I'm doing is, let's say that the two of you would take the class. So let's say one of you sees better than the other. So one of you, let's say, would stand from 10 feet to measure her vision, and the other one would write exactly the figure. So let's say if you see the fifth line from 10 feet, then uh, uh, somebody, then the other one will write, that's what you see from um, 10 feet. And then uh, someone else will stand from 20 feet. So we're basically dividing our room from 2.5 feet to 20 feet. And people stand in couples, and they write down, everyone writes for the other, what they see, indoors and then outdoors, because it's very different vision indoors and outdoors, um, uh, from near and from far. That takes about an hour for people to understand and to measure each other's vision. 
and we do it in the first day and in the last day. And, and, and from there on, we work in the first day on the principles of natural vision improvement, how to apply the principles of the natural vision improvement to daily life, which uh, is through deep relaxation throughout the day, looking at details, and many others. Then we split the class into six different days. We have the second day, we overcome nearsightedness and farsightedness. Third day, we create balance use between the two eyes, and people who have a cross-sightedness can help themselves a lot with that, but it's good for everyone to balance the use of the two eyes. And then the fourth day, we talk about pathologies and how to overcome them. And the fifth day, we have a night walk. We go to the park and have a very nice uh, night walk here. And in the sixth day, we have people uh, 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 returning to the basic kind of exercise and then measuring the vision again. I had one lady who came to me all the way from Canada, and her husband was blind, her mother was blind, some of her aunts was blind, and the doctors found that she has what's called lepus, um, uh, retinal uh, de de degeneration. They wanted to do a surgery called vitrectomy to remove the vitreous so it will not detach the macula. And she did not want to do it. She did shamanic practice. She went for a whole uh, night in the forest. And a year later, the situation was worse. And just when she was willing to accept the reality of the surgery, and by the way, one out of every nine people who has vitrectomy becomes blind. Um, she decided uh, to uh, go to a bookstore, and she saw a page in a book that was translated to French. She's a French-Canadian, uh, and talked about yoga for your eyes. So she found yoga for your eyes. She found me. She called me, and that's when I did my book campaign, and I went to New York. And I was on your show beforehand because I also was in East-West Bookshop. And I was also on other shows in KKUP on Cheryl's show. Anyway, what happened was, um, after seeing me in New York and coming for six-day eye class here, the same surgeon who pressured her to remove a vitreous said there is no need for the surgery. And then she came for my training course in August, and she came back to her doctor who said, it's even better now. So her case is that her lattice retinal degeneration got way better, and the same surgeon that put on her tremendous pressure to do the surgery does not want to do it now. Mayor, you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, you're talking about going out in, I, I always, because you're by the ocean in San Francisco, I always think of you going out there and bringing your students to the beach. So We do. You know, you're looking, we, take, uh, we take charts, we take eye charts on boards to the beach. We look like a bunch of weirdos because I get everyone to put an obstructive lens like we take sunglasses and we break one lens. So if you see better, let's say, in your left eye, we put an obstruction on the left eye. If you see better in the right eye, put an obstruction on the right eye. And then we play balls. And then we throw balls on the charts. And then when we take the glasses off, everybody sees better through both eyes because finally the brain started to engage with the eye that sees poorly. We look at the waves. We look at the mountains of Marine, at the hills of Daly City. This is really an amazing type of situation. And until those people are not going to come to us, 
shame on you because we have people who are coming from Germany. I mean, they have to cross the Atlantic to come here. And it takes them, what, if they go direct flight about uh, 10 hours, or if they indirect flight, it's a longer trip. So we have people who come from Germany, from Belgium, from China. For God's sake, come from Cupertino and, <laughs> and do this work. Mary, Mayor, let me be more specific. You're, you bring the, your patient out into the bright sunlight, and then, when you do, and then you measure afterward what the results are. And next, you know, one of the days you do the same thing with darkness in the dark, and then you the measure. Same day, the first yeah. day, we measure them indoors and outdoors. And then the last day, the sixth day, we measure them indoors and outdoors. And 52 out of 60 saw better both. Now, somebody might ask why, why the bright sunlight and why the dark? Now, the back is... Well, when your pupils constrict, you, you normally see better. So let's say if, you, if somebody only saw, let's say, the second line from 10 feet indoors, most likely they'll see the fifth line from 10 feet outdoors. So you want to measure the improvement in each place. So let's say if in the sixth day the person who saw this, the second um, line indoors saw the fourth line indoors, and instead of seeing the fifth line outdoors, he saw the eighth or the ninth line outdoors, then you know that he improved in both places. Some people only improved indoors. Some people only improved outdoors. Some, most people improve in both. Very good. Does one, uh, so using okay. both methods increases the, what, I always say the, what, the reflexes, the reflex of the eye itself, it makes it move, it makes it more agile, uh, and that kind of thing, or, or what happens? Absolutely. There? You know, these days we have to get used to the fact that we're not enough outdoors in the sun. Uh, many people, or most people, wear sunglasses outdoors. We have weaker pupils than our ancestors had. We never get used. I'm, I have nothing against a hat in the sun. Uh, being in the shade is great, but I'm very much against sunglasses, with few exceptions. You know, if you drive to a sunset, yeah, wear the sunglasses. If you're in the snow, wear sunglasses. But basically, uh, we wear sunglasses. I'm seeing four-year-olds wearing sunglasses in fluorescent light indoors. It drives me crazy. It's just the worst thing you can do. So you don't allow your pupils to constrict all the way. And the constriction of the pupils is important for so many things, even for your mood. But it, first of all, allows more light to come in. If anyone in, of the audience will look through a clenched fist at any object, through the clenched fist you can see much better that object. So what we really need to learn is to allow the pupils to constrict more outdoors. At the same time, People don't walk in the dark these days. That's why we're going to have a night walk. You know, every class is either from 9 to 1 or 9 to 2. Um, but the uh, fifth day is from 3 to 9 because we're going to walk outdoors from um, 7.30 to 9. We're going to walk in the Golden Gate Park and adjust to the outdoors. And it's amazing how much we then hate the, the city lights after that because those city lights are much harder on the eyes than we think. We don't have night and we don't have enough of a day these days. So it's very important to 
allow the pupils to widen and to constrict a lot. And, and we do that quite a bit. Well, just well, I've never been able to wear dark glasses, so I'm glad. <laughs> Just to let everybody know, we're talking with Mayor Schneider. Uh, he's located in San Francisco. And the phone number, in case you want to connect with the school, is 415-665-9574. One more time, 415-665-9574. Um, Mayor, not only that, but you also take um, private sessions for people. So if they can't attend... You know, in a grouping, you do work with people privately. Oh, yeah, that's most of my work. Most of my work is definitely private, as I was talking about the little baby. But uh, I have, for example, a kid who comes to me always, again, from your neck of the woods. He lives in Mountain View. And um, and uh, he was prescribed glasses because he has a very strong eye, twenty twenty, and he has another weaker eye, which was a lazy eye. And his eye right now... He's 50% less lazy because he has a wonderful mother. He's a four-year-old, and we're working together. I have patients with paralysis. I have patients with back problems. And I definitely have patients with various eye problems. And patients see me all over the world and come to me from all over the world. It's just amazing. Uh, people ask me, do you know that uh, this March I'm going to fly to Taiwan and Singapore? The same group of people that arranged for me to work in the Santa Cruz Mountains um, and I've seen the two organizers, are arranging for me work in Taiwan and in Singapore. I'm going to go to two Buddhist temples in Taiwan and one in Singapore. And I'm going to give a big lecture. And they're taking me very seriously, which is very beautiful. Um, the same uh, group that uh, published the book in Chinese He's the one who is arranging my workshop. It's the first time I'm being flown business. Normally I sit in economy. You know, economy is that place that is made for people without uh, ankles, knees, or hips, right? It's like <laughs> you sit so crowded. These days the corridors are so narrow you can hardly walk there. You have to walk sideways in airplanes. And since I live in airplanes, I can tell you that. But I'll fly business for a change. I mean, you can lie down and sleep all the way. So anyway, uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to work with a big group of these open-minded people, and they need this because back east, the only thing they heard about, it came from Japan, they told me, is about the Bates Method, but it didn't have any other teacher in natural vision improvement. I'm the first one. So it's a very nice thing. It's like there's a vacuum there, and I'm going exactly there to teach for the from the 8th of, of March, I'm going to fly until the 31st. And uh, I'll be in Germany this year to teach um, a natural vision improvement workshop and some uh, movement with the body in Germany. And I'll be in England, and I'll be in Italy, and I'll be in France. So uh, this is a very big year for me uh, with my travel. I normally travel, but not this much, you know. So uh, that's what's happening about let people know here your website if they want to go there is self-healing.org and that's self s-e-l-f dash healing.org mayor you have a special tip of the month on your website and let me tell you you talk with some about some incredible things uh dealing with diabetic problems i mean you're 
skills can reach so many areas of the body, and people need to know about this. This is just awesome. And it works with asthma and deep breathing, uh, relieving TMJ and jaws, jaw strain. Um, it, it, you know what, just about anything, they, and lower back. A lot of people are walking around. Their back is killing them right now. <laughs> Isn't it terrible? All of this is preventable. All you need is few minutes here and few minutes there, and you have a better sense of your back. Um, and, you know, two things are the biggest back killers, if you ask me. And one of them is shoes and cement, and the other one of them is a chair. We've never sat so much as a humanity as we do these days. We've never, I mean, this walk on shoes, uh, with shoes on cement seemed to be comfortable on its face, but it's very, very hard for our body. I run on the beach of San Francisco four times a week, and I run for normally about uh, four miles. makes a huge difference, huge difference. And uh, um, it means that it takes me away from back pain. But also sensing the back and sensing it needs and responding to the needs is so important. Again, let me just repeat what I said. There's a whole industry that manages our back pain. There is nowhere someone who says, let's stop this madness. Well, I agree with you. <laughs> let's stop the madness. Yeah. And the madness is to allow our habits to cause our pain and to not even feel what we do that causes our pain and to not do the simple things like shoulder rotation when the shoulders are tight, like stretching backwards when you see too much forwards, like walking backwards when you look too much forwards. Doing simple things as that can take away a load. And in my next tip of the month, of the week, sorry, I'm going to talk about rolling from side to side on the floor, rolling on one uh, set of ribs, then on the other, I mean on the side, rolling on the other side, and then rolling from side to side like kids do, to start and use the side muscles and not only the front muscles. We use the same group of muscles again and again to a point of exhaustion. Then we become exhausted and achy. And if we learn to use other muscles, we would not need a bunch of peels, braces, and Lord knows what, that is all coming to manage a problem that shouldn't exist in the first place. Yep. We even have our kids have sitting too long by the computers. <laughs> well, I, have a couple of, I have a couple of friends that have said that they've been able to manage their back problems now that they started their exercises daily, so it does work. Absolutely, absolutely. And what was interesting was the physiatrist that I was talking, I mean, after all, she had, first of all, very extreme medical education. You have to understand that after finishing medical school, there's still three more years in specializing in physiatrists. All physiotherapy departments have a doctor who manages the physiotherapist. That's what a physiatrist is. And she had such a hard time with my teaching, but she was so fascinated at the same time she basically made a hard abdomen, like so many orthopedists tell you, make your abdomen hard. I said, look, my abdomen is very strong. i got a very fat and uh, heavy person to stand on my abdomen, and I lifted my abdomen up and down, lifted them up and down without any problem. 
Um, but the point is, you don't harden the abdomen. You relax it. Uh, hardening the abdomen, like they teach you in all of those um, classes, basically creates arthritis all over the body because it shrinks and shortens everything. What you have to do is separate muscle groups. Work with them individually. Get the legs to work separately from the back. For example, you lie on your back and you bend and straighten your knees. You feel your abdomen. You make sure that you focus on your feet so you leave your abdomen alone. When you want to build the abdomen, you build it up. You lift the two legs. You move them in rotating motion. You put your hands behind your head. You lift your whole upper body up. Fine. Build your abdomen. But don't tighten it at the expense of other muscles. That's what we always do. Our big muscles are like imperialist against the small muscles. And yet, look at the ability that Arthur Rubinstein had. He played the piano with incredible agility in his fingers. He didn't give a hood about the rest of his body. His whole rest of body became arthritic. And to the last minute of his life, at the age of 94, he died at the age of 95, he was still able to play the piano without any problem with the most flexible fingers there are and with an arthritic body. So we got to have another direction where we start to use muscles we never used before and starting to let go of the tension we have. It took her a lot of work to get it, and thanks to her credibility, all the hundred people who came to us looked at us as tremendous awe because there there was a physiatrist who took her a long time to understand what I was talking about, to understand that there are things that the medical profession doesn't get. And she said, this is the way out of your back pain forever. Wow. Well, I can see a new book coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will. <laughs> no, no choice about that, you know. Well, people can pick up your book, The Vision for Life. And, uh, it, you know, your books are so step-by-step. They are tremendous. They, they're really such a help. And, you know, you're such a gift to humanity. We're so lucky to have you around to be able to, to teach the teachers. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's nothing like having just a few movements that you realize that you can make a difference in someone's life in a minute or two. And when you right. are... And you know, if, if you adopted a minute here and a minute there, it's one thing to ask you to do an hour a day, but it's another thing, okay, let's say you decide... 15 minutes in the morning, and then a minute here, a minute there, two minutes here, two minutes there, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. It doesn't take anything away from your life except your pain and misery. Well, I just watch our animals, and they all stretch when they first get up. Exactly. And we need to learn from them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But unfortunately, they learn from us, so they get our back pain. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor, well, thank you so for much being for with me. us. We we really love it each time you're with us. And just to let people know, there there is a Saturday class, and uh, it's going to be from 10 till 6 p.m. this coming Saturday. And um, if you want to connect with Mayor, the phone number is oh oh I lost the phone it's number four one five six six five nine five seven four. Okay. 
Again, 415-665-9574. Mayor, you've got to come back soon. Let us know what's happening out there. We love it. You know, you're the first one, the first ones who heard about this new research in Brazil. Well, we're going to share it with our friends and relatives for sure, and we'll have you back on the show again. Wonderful. And I find that the two of you are very spiritually evolved, and I really felt very strong vibes from both of you, which were very positive and very helpful to us. So I'm looking forward to be on your show again and tell you about my next transformation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye Bye now. Bye-bye, thanks.